like to talk to you today about the concept of mutually life-giving relationships. Let's imagine for a moment, where's the place you most want to be right now? How would you feel if you could spend time there freely? Yes, you would truly feel happy. However, what if you were there with someone who makes you uncomfortable just by being around them? Like both in the company. Yes, it wouldn't be as enjoyable. So who would you want to be there with? Through these questions, we come to understand that what governs our minds is not time or place, but relationships. Being with people and things in good relationships brings joy to our minds, while being with people and things in bad relationships like being, is like being in hell itself. Shakyamuni Buddha, after risking his life in search of enlightenment, gazing at the morning star, what truth did he realize? It's the understanding that all phenomena in the universe are interconnected through relationships, or what we call inyon in Korean. Despite the long history of humanity's tendencies to harm others, for one's own survival, Buddha's teaching of this arises, that arises, continues to illuminate our path. Relationships refer to the connections formed between two or more entities, phenomena, or actions. Whether it's a relationship between co-workers, myself and my smartphone, myself and the country, or even spiritual connections. The world is filled with numerous relationships. However, if we were to categorize these relationships into two main types, they would be mutually life-giving relationships and mutually harmful relationships. So do you find yourself mainly engaging in mutually life-giving relationships or those that are mutually harmful? When we think about relationships, do we often ourselves recalling someone who has hurt us deeply? The course of our lives is greatly influenced by the relationship, relationships we cultivate. Mutually life-giving relationships allow both parties to thrive while mutually harmful relationships, as vividly seen in war, result in mutual destruction. Nobody wants to solely engage in harmful relationships. However, due to our lack of understanding of relational principles, we often find ourselves stuck in harmful dynamics, forsaking happiness for pain, 
Therefore, I want to talk to you about I, I want to talk to you about the fundamental characteristics of relationships as we engage in the practice of understanding our minds and forging meaningful connections. Then what's the most important characteristic of relationships? Is that relationships aren't set in stone. We oscillate between boundless joy, thinking our current relationships will last forever, and agonizing pain, struggling in despair. But living with this awareness gives us hope. Personally, I have a habit of estimating and checking my mind. When I'm with someone who seems perfect for a lifetime, I'm not just carried, by, carried away by blissful emotions, but I also remind myself, even this wonderful relationship could sour if, not, if I'm not careful. Conversely, even in relationships that seem doomed, I hold on to the thought, I might still find harmony with this person. And I gradually open the doors of my heart to all relationships. The second characteristic is that I am the subject of the relationship. In other words, the relationship changes depending on how I use my mind. Just because relationships are not fixed doesn't mean that sitting idle will transform a harmful relationship into a mutually life-giving one. If I attribute the negativity in our relationship solely to the person, solely to the, the other person, and hand over the sovereignty of the relationship to them, that relationship will never change. Therefore, we need to undergo a shift in perception where the center of the relationship is me, or more precisely, my mind functioning. There was someone I really wanted to form good relationship with. But as I started noticing a few flow in her, my feelings toward her began to change. She actually wanted to get along with me too, but because I was making much effort to connect with her or open up emotionally, she ended up, for, she ended up giving up on me. Eventually, she started hurting me with harsh words and creating a negative atmosphere between us. After putting in efforts to regain my composure, I made up my mind to restore our relationship to a positive one, despite the negative energy she was projecting on me, onto me. No matter how much she hurt me with her words, I kept reaching out to her. Strangely, I didn't feel anxious about it because I believed that our relationship depended on how I behave. And as long as I did my best, things would work out. I also didn't rush for our relationship to improve overnight. Then one day, an opportunity came for me to help her when she was struggling and I wholeheartedly helped her. Our relationship was restored 
to a mutually life-giving one. And she also helped me when I was in need. However, I never became complacent about this relationship and always made sure to be cautious of my mind. So how can we actively engage in, engage our minds to foster the mutually life-giving relationships we desire? While there may be various approaches, I would like to suggest following the footsteps of those who have historically formed such harmonious relationships. Who are they? They are the sages, the enlightened ones, the Buddhas and the saints. Buddhas, Jesus, the founding master Sotesan, and the other revered figures sacrificed themselves for this world and all of humanity. And even after a thousand years, humanity still honors them and strives to emulate their spirit. What kind of mindset did they possess? They had minds as vast as empty space itself. As my minds narrow, they become so constricted that not even a speck of dust can settle. When someone does meet our standards, we try to fix them. And if that doesn't work, we harbor resentment, grudges, and ultimately reject them. Even these minds are not easy for us to notice. We wish they weren't around, thinking, if only that person weren't here. Operating with a narrow mind prevents any living being from finding peace within it, making them feel imprisoned and suffering. Attempting to fill our minds only with what we consider good and eliminating everything we deem bad is a narrow-minded approach. Similarly, fixating on what we perceive as big is also narrow-mindedness. However, founding master Sotesan taught us, who have vowed to all, save all sentient beings, that the capacity of our minds should be vast and grand. What does it mean to have a great mind? The Sixth Patriarch Henun in the Platform Sutra on the Sixth Patriarch said, having a mind as vast and expansive as empty space itself. The empty space accommodates the sun, the moon, the stars, mountains, rivers, forests, good people, bad people, evil teachings, virtuous teachings, heavens, and hells within it. Similarly, the self-nature of human beings encompasses all of this without attachment or rejection, resembling empty space. Observing all people, sentient beings, evil, goodness, evil teachings, and virtuous teachings, yet 
neither rejecting nor clinging to any. Resembling empty, spa empty space, one is said to possess greatness. This is what it means to have a great mind, a truly significant act. Venerable Henning emphasized that having nothing is not what, what makes something great. The empty space encompasses mountains, forests, wind, dust, good people, bad people, and even poisonous snakes, without rejecting or being tainted by anything, which is why it's vast and great. Similarly, our mind should embrace all kinds of people and phenomena without rejection or attachment to truly be considered great. When I suffered from a relationship with those who have characteristics I don't like, my teacher often used to tell me, look at the mountain. There are straight trees reaching for the sky and also bent trees as well. Aren't there? Yet the mountain is beautiful because it has both straight and bent trees. If bent trees can be beautiful, why can't we see why can't we see the beauty in people's bent hearts? Whenever I strung along the trails of one Dharma Center, these words come to my mind. As I just kept reminding this teaching and action he actually showed me, something amazing happened. Little by little, I was able to look at them with a warm heart, which I couldn't imagine before. I didn't even feel any resentment toward my relatives who tried to take over my mom's house where she lives alone. I was just pondering how my family would get mutual life-giving results. Founding Master Sotesan advised, even though a person may not see or hear you, do not hate or disparage that person. Since energy is being mutually transmitted through heaven and earth, though you, might, though you may hate the person without his knowledge and may have disparaged him just once, that energy is already transmitted and a seed of mutual harm planted. And even though you regard someone highly without his knowledge and may have complimented that person only once, that energy is already transmitted and a seed of mutual life-giving planted. Then once the right conditions are finally in place, the seed of mutual life-giving will bear good fruit, but the seed of mutual harm will bear rotten fruit. Now I remind myself that merely pretending to be kind while internally rejecting and discriminating against someone who wants to change our relationship. Only by practicing the mind with great capacity, embracing all sentient beings and embodying the status of beyond the household can relationships undergo transformation. Seeds yield their outcomes based on what is sown. Thus, 
while it seems difficult and distant, if we sow the seeds of Buddha in our minds, they will eventually blossom. Let's pause for a moment and reflect. Am I someone who uplifts those around me? Or do I cause them distress? We often attribute the cause of our relationships issues to others and harbor resentment. I do not mean that others are without fault. I mean what we can do is regain control of the relationship. Buddhas have control of their relationships in their hands. So as you undergo changes and broaden your heart, even those who seemed unchangeable may transform. Moreover, your own mind will become healthier. To conclude, I would like to wrap up with the story of King Chen Sun Ingum from China. He was a farmer from a rural village who grew up under the tyranny of his stepmother and stepbrother. Despite this, Shin remained filial to his parents and loved his sibling. When the king of that time, Emperor Yao Yo Ingum, heard his virtue, he married off his daughters to Shun and bestowed many gifts upon him. Witnessing this, Shun's stepmother and stepbrother consumed by jealousy, attempt to kill Shun by setting fire to the grain warehouse while he was repairing its roof or by trapping him in a well. Each time, Shun outwitted death. Furthermore, he harbored no resentment and continued to fulfill his filial duties leading his family to eventually cease harming him. Emperor Yao acknowledged Shun's virtue and passed the throne to him. The sovereignty of relationships lay with King Shun, who transformed a mutual hurting relationship into a relationship of mutual life-giving. So I want to say, that let us also have control of our relationships in our hands by sowing the seed of the Buddha in our hearts. If we sow the seed of aspiring to embrace all beings like a Buddha, starting from ourselves, gradually, mutually life-giving relationships will unfold in this world. May we plant the seed of enlightenment within ourselves cultivating relationships where both we and those we encounter find peace and comfort. Have you planted your seeds today? Raise your hands if you have. <laughs> oh, so many Buddhas. I hope you will water them well from today 